1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We covered some of this last time, but I want to look at it from a little bit different facet today. Um, so, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, you will receive the, the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, so we're going to stop right there, right now. So, in verse 1, he says, Therefore I exhort you, I, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders. We pointed out last time, Peter could easily be saying as an apostle, but he says, No, he, he's, he's becoming one with them. He says, As your fellow elder. The Bible tells us that, that the Son of God took on flesh because his children had flesh. Jesus took on flesh to identify with us, his children. He identifies with them. And he, he says that, that I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. doesn't even call himself the chief elder. And witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to follow. Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Peter was there at the trials of Christ. When Jesus was on trial, Peter was there. Peter saw it. The scourgings. It says... In Isaiah chapter 52, reading at verse 13 onward, that it talks about how Jesus was more marred than any man. More than any man had ever been marred in a, in a Roman scourging. Jesus had been more, marred more than that. Um, and and uh, um, Peter saw all of this. I want you to think about that for a minute. That God, the creator of the universe, the one who made the heavens the one who created life, the one who does all things, would suffer on our behalf. He didn't have to, he chose to. As Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. God in heaven suffers on our behalf. Peter said, I saw his suffering. Peter saw the cross. He saw the sufferings of Christ, that God would suffer on our behalf. This is what pays the price for us. So if you, if you look, for example, in Romans chapter 3, <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, it talks about our state. Our state, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. 
How many times does he need to say it? Repeatedly, over and over again. There is none righteous, not even one. He says there's not even one. There's no one who does good. There's no one who seeks after God. None. If there's any seeking after God, it is by his gift that he has placed in our lives. There is no good in us. If you think you're good, you're wrong. The Bible tells us very differently. There is nobody who is good. Not even one. Nobody is good. If, if, if there's any good in us, it is because of something that Jesus has placed there. And then in Romans chapter 5, it says, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly. The sufferings of Christ, he died for the ungodly. He did not die for the godly. This is not a faith for the godly. This is a faith for the ungodly. If you are ungodly, this is the place for you. If you're godly, you're going to have to find your faith somewhere else, your religion somewhere else. Jesus died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrates, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He does not say, go get yourself cleaned up, uh, uh, fast for a few days, uh, don't sin for six weeks, and come and see me and we'll talk about it. No way. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the sufferings of Christ that Peter is saying, I witnessed this. I witnessed the Son of God, God come in the flesh, God himself. He says, I will bear your sin because the wages of sin is death. That which we earn because of our sin is death. That's what we've earned. Jesus said, I will pay that debt for you. I will pay that debt for you. That's exactly what Jesus does. That is the gospel. That is the truth that's before us. This is what we see. He says, I saw the sufferings. I was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. This is not something that will ever escape his memory. This is a man with whom he walked for three and a half years. And they were together all the time for three and a half years. Now, there were times when Jesus would go off to pray, but in general, it wasn't 40 days of prayer. In general, it was just short times. They were together for three and a half years. So imagine a college friend that you were together with all the time. And then you are to see your college friend who is very dear to you, who only did good to people, who only showed kindness to people, who took care of people, who taught and instructed. And then see your college friend in your fourth year Go ahead and suffer that kind of suffering. This is just imprinted upon his memory. He says, I witnessed the sufferings. I witnessed his sufferings. I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I saw it with my own eyes. This is something that the disciples could talk about. That's why in 1 John, when, when John is speaking about things, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, What from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. When, when we read in, 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 the, the, uh, in John's gospel, the first thing he talks about, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he just expands upon this word, how everything good that has ever come has come because of this word. And then he says, and that very same word became flesh, 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. This is what he talks about. And now in, in 1 John, John says, look, this word of life that I'm talking about, we touched him, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, we beheld him. This is what they're testifying of. This was something real right in front of them. There is more blessing, though, for us because Jesus said, blessed is he who does not see and yet believes. More blessed is he who does not see and yet believes. There is more blessing upon us for not seeing and yet believing than for them who have seen and believed. There's more blessing on us. That's what Jesus said. Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. He says, I saw his suffering. And he says, and, and I'll be a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He saw some of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he says, I'm going to be partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. I assure you, by the testimony of Scripture itself, this more sure word that we have, the testimony of Scripture, that there is a glory that awaits those who follow Jesus. There is a glory that awaits. When your loved one dies, they are very much, if they knew the Lord, they are very much in the presence of God. Instantly, they're in the presence of Jesus. Instantly, you are burying their body, but they are very much alive. Jesus told us this. Jesus said, if anyone lives and believes in me, he will live even if he dies. And if anyone lives and believes in me, he will never die. Do you believe this? John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus asks, do you believe this? This is what he told us. That we will never die in the sense that the flesh may die, but we shall forever be with him. He says, the glory that awaits us is great. We have a great glory awaiting, for, awaiting us. And then he says in verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 5, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not according to compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with earnestness. You know, this, a, a cold and indifferent leader is not worth having. And cold and indifference can slip into our hearts when we start serving from the flesh, we can get very tired and we can become cold and indifferent. And we need to spend time with the Lord to renew our hearts. He says we're to shepherd the, the, the flock of God voluntarily. Most of us, most of us here will never be in full-time ministry. In other words, most of us here are not, not going to be paid for our ministry. But he's telling us to shepherd those around us. You have an opportunity Sometimes say to teach a Bible study on campus or to teach things. Don't shun from those opportunities. Oh, I, I can't do that. I, I don't know it well enough. Well, I'll tell you something. If you have to start preparing to teach a Bible study, you will start learning the Bible like you've never learned it before. Because nobody likes to stand in front of a group of people and stand there like a buffoon and not know what they're talking about. It will cause you to really want to grow and learn. I love to teach the Word of God. I really do. Because of what it does for me in my own personal time, in preparation. How I have to cry out to God to open this Word to me. To give me understanding from this passage that I'm going to be sharing this day. This is what I have to be able to do. And this is why I ask God, fill me, teach me, instruct me from this passage. What is the message for the people today? 
most of us will be called upon to speak and to teach at some point, teach, either teach children or teach women or teach adults or to do something. He says, don't turn away from these things and shepherd them. And then he, he goes on to give us more examples of what needs to be done. He says, not lording it over them, not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Proving to be examples. This is exactly the way Jesus teaches us to be. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, he says, But Jesus called them to himself, and he said, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to become first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the teachings of Jesus. He said, you see it all around you. Everybody wants to lord over another. He said, it is not this way among you. This lording it over another is foreign to the gospel. It is foreign to the gospel. Jesus has a different way of instructing us. And he says, it is not this way among you, in, in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. I can tell what people's lives are going to be like by the way they serve. I just have a lot of data points. I've just seen a lot of young people grow up and and, and uh, uh by their service, I know what their lives are going to be like. By the way they serve. Because you will see very often that people that have a regular pattern of being filled by the Lord and serving are much happier people and have much happier lives. Those that give out of themselves for others have much happier lives. He says you are to be examples to them. You're going to have opportunity to be example. I remember when when I was put forth to be examples to, pe to guys that I was living with, and I felt totally inadequate. I felt like, who, who am I to be examples to them? I felt really inadequate. That sense of inadequacy has never gone away. You think that at this point in my life, I feel adequate. I don't. I trust God more with it. But that sense of inadequacy never goes away. And if it goes away, we're probably in trouble. We're probably in trouble because it means we might be relying on ourselves. When we realize that everything, everything about my existence, everything about my being an example is only by the grace of God because if these people knew what I am really like in my heart, they would not look to me as an, being an example. It is only by the grace of God. Then he says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears... When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here he's the chief shepherd. We've heard about the good shepherd. In, in, in Hebrews, he's described differently. Here he's described as the chief shepherd. When he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a glory that awaits those who serve others. Most of us will never be in full-time service. We are going to give of ourselves. If you're not in a place, there, there's a few things that we really ought to be doing in our lives, a few patterns. One is Sunday worship. One is having a day to worship. 
Another one is having a time in Bible study with other people. And another is in serving. Being able to serve and give of yourself. Giving a time of service. And that can be one hour a week. You can start with one hour a week of time of service where you're in a role that's very important. In other words, if you don't do your job, people are going to be without. It is much more than just attending. It is is being a servant. And he says, when Jesus appears, you're going to receive an unfading crown of glory. This is the victor's crown, the Stephanos crown. Those normally faded because they were made out of branches or vines. This, he says, this crown is not going to fade away. Then he says in verse 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Everybody has to be subject to somebody. Everybody does. It says, it says uh, uh, man is the head of woman, that, that Christ is the head of man, God is the head of Christ. That is the order that's set up. God and Christ are the same thing. They are totally equal. But Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Man and woman are totally equal in God's eyes. But there's, a, there's an order of submission. And if that bothers you, take it up with God. Not my words, that's him. He said it, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, if you want to know where it says that. All right? Take it up with God. I'm just the messenger. All right? And, and, but what else it says in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, God is not mocked, be not deceived, God is not, not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. If you do not have areas, if you do not have people in your life to whom you are submitted, very few people will submit to you. Your children will run wild. If you don't have, if you're not submitting to others, we have places of submission in the church. I am submitted to the local leadership of this church. If they say, Jim, we think it's time you retire from teaching the college students, you're too old, your pants aren't tight enough, your hair isn't spiked up, they need somebody younger in there. That day, I'm gone. I'm gone. No contest. The leadership decides. Not me, it's the leadership. I function underneath their leadership. If they should say, we don't want you teaching out of First Peter anymore, boom, I'm not teaching out of First Peter. They decide. I'm submitted to local leadership. And when I see guys where their life is just falling apart. They say, my, my, my wife doesn't listen to me, my kids don't listen to me, and, and it's, it's apparent to me. And I say, I, it's no surprise. You have nobody in your life to whom you submit. You reap whatever you sow. You sow lack of submission, you're going to reap lack of submission. He says, young men, submit yourselves to your elders. And he says, well, who do they think they are? No, it's an act of submission. There's something that happens there that's good. He says, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So all of you, it's not just the elders to whom we have to submit. There is submission all over the place. Submission all, I have a chair of my department, who's chair of my department. I was there on the committee that hired him. He's younger than me. And our next chair, who's starting in June, he only started in the university about eight years ago. I hired the guy. I was there at his promotion. 
from a, from an assistant professor to associate professor when he got tenure. I was there. When he was, when the dean asked me, should we get this guy to be the chair? I, this, this new, I said, yes, get him. He's very good. Even though he's much younger than me. He said, well, why don't you take the chair? I don't want the chair. <laughs> no way. You know? And, and, and uh, but, and then this guy called me. He says, the dean's offered me to be the chair of the department. Do you think I, I should do this? I said, absolutely. I think you should. You have this gift of leadership. You could do this. You're a level-headed guy. You could do this type of thing. And I support you in this. When he's the chair of the department, I am submitted to him. Even though I'm much superior to him, uh, uh, senior to him, in my place in the department in the sense that I've been there much longer. But he'll be chair of the department. I will be submitted to him. If he says, you don't get this lab space, I mean, I'll, I'll talk with him about that. But ultimately, what he says has to go because I've seen what happens when you don't submit to this. They have a locksmith come and he ch they change the locks on the door. You know, so you, you ultimately have to submit to these folks in leadership. And over him is, is, is a dean and over him is, is, is a provost and, and, and over her is a, is, is a university president. I mean, they're, they're submission. This is part of life. And he says you have to submit one to another. And he says, with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's opposed to the proud. This, this is translated apparently in the Greek, God against the proud arrays himself. God against the proud arrays himself. If that doesn't make you fear, I don't know what will. God against the proud arrays himself. God prepares himself for battle against the proud. Is that a fight you want? No way. No way. Because we know who's going to win. God against the proud arrays himself. And it's interesting, he says, clothe yourselves with humility. It's not even allow God to put humility upon you. It's clothe yourselves. There is an act, a physical act we take that I am going to humble myself to you. I want to tell you a story of, of, of some cats here. Let me... Let me see if I can bring this up here. Made some, some PowerPoint slides here. Okay, so this, these are cats. If you ever go to Israel, you will see cats everywhere. Like we have squirrels, they have cats. And because of those cats, they will never have squirrels. If you, go, if, if you see an Israeli come to the U.S., they are fascinated by squirrels. Yeah. They take out their, their phone and start taking these pictures of squirrels. I think it's amazing to see this, this little thing with a bushy tail. They love squirrels. They have cats everywhere. Now, because of that, they don't have rodent problems. But there's cats all over the streets. Jerusalem is just overrun by cats. Cats everywhere. Now, these, these are not like feral cats. It's not like cats, when you, if you find a cat in the woods around here, they are really nasty. You try to pick them up, they'll scratch your eyes out. I mean, these, those are... Those are now these, many of them have been around people and, and people come out and they feed them. They don't let them die. And, and so, you, you know, they're, they, they, they're used to people. Some of them, you know, they don't want you picking them up. Others of them are very friendly. My, my granddaughters love these cats. So they go outside their house and they sit on the ground and there's several cats that would come to them. And, and uh, uh, 
And so they really wanted a pet cat. And they had a couple of these cats that would come to them, and i seen them play with them. And some of the cats are more skittish than others, and the ones that want to come and sit with them, sit with them. So my daughter and my son-in-law decided to, to get, one of these, get a couple of these cats for them and bring them in their home, get the shots for them and everything. So they came with these, these animal carriers, and they tried to put the cats in the cage. And this one young cat that was about four months old that they called Wendy went right into the cage. The other cat that was Lilybeth wanted nothing to do with that cage. I mean, she would not go near the cage. Wendy submitted to the cage, went to the vet, got the shots, and then Wendy moved in with them. So here's Wendy. Here's Wendy, and it turns out when they went to the vet, Wendy turns out to be a boy. But, <laughs> but, so I said, why don't you just call him like Wendell or something? But they said, no, it'll confuse him. So they just still call him Wendy. But this is, this is Wendy. This is Wendy. Now, Wendy has this amazing life. Wendy submitted to this, and Wendy has this amazing life. Wendy sits on their laps when they study. Wendy, Wendy is there on their laps all the time. Wendy is like the most pampered animal in the world. And it has all these things for Wendy to scratch on. They bought all this stuff. This act of submission, Wendy's life changed. No more competition for food. Wendy has all the food he wants. And, and, and uh, whatever he wants, he gets. And he has full reign of the house there. He doesn't even care to go outside. And, and uh, uh, if they go outside, he's on a, on a, on a, uh, he has a harness and a leash. And so, so that's a very pleasant life. This is actually not much unlike what happens to people. If you want to be independent, you get cat comfort under submission versus a hard life under freedom and independence. If you want freedom and independence, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. You have freedom and one of these cats could start walking, could walk across the continent if it wanted to. Nobody's going to stop it. Total freedom, go wherever it wants. But it's always hungry. They die quite young. You know, now Lilybeth, that cat they really love, Lilybeth, they told me, is now walking with a limp. Because these cats, you know, cats fight among themselves. I mean, it, it's like World War III out there at nighttime. You can hear these cats going after each other. And, and it's rough out there. It's rough out in the world. That's what it's like. When you come under submission, everything begins to change. But people, no, I want my freedom. I want to be able to go and come when I want. Okay. You can even be in the Lord and have your freedom. But it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. So let me stop sharing, because that's the story of the cats. So, um, but you, you see the analogy here. That when we submit, yes, there are certain restrictions that we put upon ourselves. Certain restrictions. I'm, I can't go to certain places anymore. Because if I do, it's going to thrust me back into living outside. I'm going to be back having to fight my way. When I submit myself to God, there are certain restrictions that I put upon myself. I will go in that animal carrier. No problem. But when you go in that animal carrier, you get all these shots that keep you from getting sickness. You don't have to fight with any cats anymore. It's not that kind of life. And I see this with young people. You know, they come to the university. My whole career, I've seen young people. I went to the university when I was 18, and I have never left. 
It's the only job I've ever had, really. I mean, it's just... And, and so I've seen a lot of people, and people who are rebellious, people who, even believers who are rebellious, I see them decades later, and they look old. They look so worn out, and they're not happy. And then I look at other people who have given themselves over to the Lord, and they, they grow older, but gracefully. I mean, they aren't wiped out. They aren't beat up by the world. It is so different. It is just like with the cats. Those that live under rebellion just get torn up. The world is a very hard taskmaster. If you think it's rough when you came to the Lord, let me tell you something. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. He allows us to go through things to teach us, but he's always there for our recovery. The enemy is not like that at all. And here is what he's saying. So when he says, submit to one another, it's not like, Submit, I'm going to put you under my thumb. It's like, humbly submit, because in this, there is protection. In this, you can be like Wendy, just sitting on the lap all day. Wendy, every time I call them, Wendy is sleeping on their laps. Wendy has a dog's life. I mean, it's wonderful. Wendy's just really comfortable here. This is, this is what it's like. And, and then he says, he says, um, Therefore, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you are in this place of submission, you get to cast your anxiety upon him. When you're not under this place of submission, you bear your anxiety on yourself. This is on you. When you're under this place of submission, here's what you get. When you're under this place of submission, you get to cast your anxiety upon him. You get this exaltation in the proper time. In the proper time, he brings you up. One day, you'll be the elder. And what happens is you get to cast your anxiety upon him. This is what the scriptures tell us. It says, it says uh, um, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So how do you stop from being anxious? You don't say, just say, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to. No, it doesn't work. He tells you here, in everything by prayer and supplication. He says, how about try praying? With thanksgiving, thank God. Thank God for everything. Well, I don't have much to thank for. You're sitting on a chair. Thank God you have that chair. You could be sitting on the ground. You got shoes on your feet. Thank God for that. You, you, got, a, you got a comfortable place to live. Thank God for that. You got, a, you got a book bag. You got whatever you got. Thank God for that. He says, with everything, everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he gives us another list on how to be free of anxiousness. He says it right here. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So this is in, that's in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. You dwell on these things. He says, whatever is good, think about Jesus. Just let fill your mind with Jesus. Think about these good things. Whatever is lovely, think about these things. Don't think about all this anxious stuff. See, he's giving us instruction by prayer 
and by thinking on the right things, your anxiousness can go away. This is what the Bible teaches us. You want to be free of your anxiousness in another way? Fine. This is what the Bible teaches. Then he says in verse 9, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, that's Paul speaking, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things. Prayer, thanksgiving, supplication, letting your mind dwell on good things and the anxiety goes away. If you are walking in submission and humbly, you get to access this casting your cares upon him. The access comes through obedience to the word of God. And obedience is learning to submit, learning to put humility upon yourself, take humility upon yourself. There are acts that we do, specific acts of humility. Let me pick up that trash for you. Let me serve you in this way. Specific acts of humility will do this for you. This is the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for these young people that they would get hold of this, that they would realize that Christ has suffered on their behalf, and if there would be anybody here that does not know you, Father, I pray that you would open their hearts this day, that today, this very day, they would get saved. And Lord, I pray also that you would work in these young people's lives, that they would learn to pick up humility and walk in submission, and that you would raise them up at the proper time, that they would learn to shepherd others and be examples to others. And Father, I pray also that they'd learn how to cast their anxieties, their cares upon you, learn how to pray, learn how to give thanksgiving, and learn how to dwell on the right things. Father, I pray that they take up your word and follow it. Father, please give them good lives, that they can walk in submission and humility, that they can have good lives where things are provided for them by the gracious hand of God, because it is good to be in your house, Lord. Blessed be your name, O Lord. May Jesus be glorified. Amen.